heard a story about an older gentleman whose health was failing and he couldn't get out a whole lot to get the things that he needed. And so his family, his kids would, would get out and get him those things, groceries and other things that he needed. One of those things, though, was that he just had to have was a lottery ticket. And so his kids each week would go and get him a lottery ticket. And to their delight and surprise, one week, as they checked the numbers, they realized that grandpa had won the lottery. And so uh, that little ticket, that little ticket that, that he had won the lottery with, his numbers matched up, that little ticket was worth $10 million. Well, they were kind of afraid because of his failing health, though, that, that if they shared the news with him, that he might get so excited and go into shock and have a heart attack and die that, that they said, okay, well, we got to have a plan for this. And so they called up the preacher and they said, you know what? And they explained the situation. They said, you, you've always had a way with words and being gentle and kind and and, 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 and grandpa loves you and he loves the church. And so we were just wondering if you could break the news to him gently. And so the preacher said that, that, that he would do that. And with great sensitivity and, and wisdom, he shared the good fortune with the man and the man's eyes began to well up. And, and he said to the preacher, you know, God has been so good to me. And you and the church have been so good to me. I'm gonna give you five million. I'm gonna give you and the church $5 million out of my winnings. And the preacher, hearing the news, went into shock and had a heart attack and died. You know, it shouldn't be shocking, though, that generosity is the norm for Jesus' followers, because Jesus' followers should be well-studied in the subject of what we're calling kingdom economics, where we're looking at what it means to live in the kingdom of God, where we live by some different economic principles than the principles that the kingdoms of this world live by. And you know, Jesus talked a lot about money, but it wasn't because he wanted money. It was because he wanted hearts. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter six, that wherever your heart goes, or your heart goes, wherever you put your treasure, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And so although Jesus wasn't interested in making money, he was very interested in making disciples. And that's why he talked a lot about money. And I believe that you can do nothing better than to trust your heart to Jesus. And if I believe that, that, you ha that there is nothing better and I want you to trust your heart to Jesus because there is nothing better, then I believe that I must also challenge you to trust your money to Jesus as well because your heart will go where your treasure is. You follow the money to find out who is serious about following Jesus because you can't detach stewardship from discipleship. So in this series, we've already learned a few things. We've learned, first of all, that we own nothing. And because we own nothing, we steward everything. And then last week, we talked about how we do something as we're stewarding everything. And then today, we're going to talk about how we should appreciate anything. So let's just do a quick review of what we talked about so far in this series of Kingdom Economics. In Kingdom Economics 101 is this, God owns it all. God owns it all. This is where it starts. This is the foundation of kingdom economics. As we've talked about, this is a top button issue. If you get the top button wrong, every other button on the way down is going to be wrong as well. And so if we don't get this, this, this reality of ownership right, this issue of ownership right, then everything else we believe about stewardship is going to be wrong. God is the only one who can legitimately say, this is mine. 
We came into this world with nothing, and you and I are going to leave this world with nothing. And so what that means is that everything we have, everything we own, is on loan, which leads to Kingdom Economics 201, that we must, we must manage God's trust fund because we are not entitled owners. We don't own anything. We're not entitled owners, but rather we are entrusted stewards. We are managing what belongs to God that he has put under our management and under our supervision. In every one of the stories that Jesus tells about stewards and masters in the Bible, every single one, when the owner comes back, because the owner always comes back, when the owner comes back, the stewards must give an account. They're always called to give an account for how they have managed the owner's things. That's why we need to do something, because Kingdom Economics 301 says that stewardship requires constant intention, that you don't stumble into better stewardship. You don't wander your way into a better management of God's resources. No, you have to be intentional about it. And so last week we talked about seven areas where we might need to do something and to take some, take some action. And if you missed any of those uh, lessons, I would encourage you to go back and listen to them because they kind of build off of each other. We start with 101 and today we're going to finish with 401. I would just encourage you to go back and listen to those. And even if you have, it's probably good to just, maybe there's something that you missed to go back and listen to those. But that being said, now we're ready today uh, to go into Kingdom Economics 401. And in some ways, this is the, the simplest one to grasp, but in many ways, it's also the hardest to implement. So Kingdom Economics 401 is this. You are as rich as you think. You are as rich as you think. And no, that's not a Southern way of saying think. Some of you know I grew up in the South and that's not my Southern accent coming through. It's not as rich as you think. You are as rich as you think. As I've said throughout this series, Kingdom Economics 101 is the foundation. God owns it all. That's where we start. That is the foundation. You build a, a stewardship lifestyle on that foundation that God owns it all. But Kingdom Economics 401, if, that's the, if 101 is the foundation, then 401 is kind of like the roof. You and I must cultivate a heart of gratitude to protect us from all the storms that want to tear down this economic house that we're building to honor God. That's why gratitude is so Essential, because if you're not grateful for all that you have received, then you're not going to be mindful that it's all God's in the first place. In Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 23, it says of the people who rebelled against God that although they knew him, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for basically idols. Here's what happens. If you thank God less, you will inevitably think of God's substitutes more. If you don't thank God, your heart will turn to something or someone that you can credit for your blessings, including ourselves at times. And that's really, in essence, how idolatry begins. That's why scripture is constantly and consistently calling us to thank God, not because he needs to hear it, but because you and I need to say it so that our hearts won't become polluted. Ephesians chapter five, verse 20 says, always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Don't worry about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So I would ask you, are you fluent in the language of thanksgiving? Are you fluent in the language of thanksgiving? Truth be told, most of us are more like the little boy who went to the birthday party for his friend Johnny. And before he went in, his mom told him, now I want you, before you leave, I want you to thank Johnny's mom for the birthday party. And so she dropped him off, mom dropped him off. And then a little bit later, she came and picked him back up. And of course, the first question she asked him is, did you thank Johnny's mom for the birthday party? And the little boy said, no. And she said, well, why not? I told you to do that. And, she, and the little boy said, well, I was going to. But then there was a little boy in front of me who thanked Johnny's mom. And Johnny's mom said, don't mention it. And so I didn't. So why don't we mention it? Well, I think most of the time, the reason we're not as fluent in Thanksgiving as we need to be is because we don't think we're as wealthy and as blessed as we ought to be. Here's what I've learned. Nobody thinks they're rich, but everybody knows somebody who is. Now, I don't know where you draw the rich line. I don't know what number you have in your head. We all draw it at different areas and different places. But it's ironic to me uh, and I include myself in this thinking, but it's ironic to me that we all seem to live right under the line, and yet we all know somebody who lives right over the line. We deny the blessing of being rich more than any other blessing we have. And so we don't thank because we don't think. And yet pretty much every single person listening to me right now is rich. Every single one of us. Let me just give you a few things to show you how rich you and I are. For instance, have you ever gone to the dentist? I just had a dentist appointment this past week. Have you ever gone to the dentist? Because if you have, if you have the money, the insurance to be able to pay, if you have the ability to go to the dentist, then you are rich. Have you ever broken a bone? If you've broken a bone and gone to the hospital, in most places of the world, you don't, you don't go to, if you break a bone, you don't go to the hospital. You just kind of let it be. Maybe you makeshift splint, but that part of the body, wherever you've broken that bone just kind of grows back crooked. But if you've ever broken a bone, <coughs> excuse me, and gone to the hospital, got medication for your pain, if you've ever done that, then you are rich. Have your kids ever played a sport or maybe taken something like dance lessons or gymnastics lessons? And maybe you bought a uniform or a leotard or outfits or cleats or some other sporting equipment. If you've ever done those things, then you are rich. Have you ever paid for a babysitter? Think about this. If you actually have enough money to pay someone else to watch your kids, then you are undoubtedly rich. Do you have a car? If you have a car, then by the world's standards, you are rich. Do you have two cars? Then you are very rich. Some of you have a car for every person in your house. In fact, your cars even have a house. They don't sleep out in the cold, but they actually have a roof over their heads at night. Here's the funny part though. One four, 25% of Americans who have a two-car garage do not park either car in their garage. 25% of people who have a two-car garage don't park their cars in the garage. Why? Because they have so much stuff in their garage that they can't get their cars in it. 
You and I are rich. Here's another way we're rich. We upgrade. And we do this all the time. I mean, we will take perfectly fine clothes that still fit, appliances that still work, cars that still drive, furniture that's still comfortable, and we will get rid of it simply because we, we want something newer and or better. And we've all done it. I mean, just think about your phones. That's a great example is your phones. I mean, you, we, 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 I will have a phone that still receives and makes calls and texts. In fact, your phone can, you can watch TV on your phone. You can buy products that you can have shipped to your house in just a couple of days. You can find out a weather report for any city on the face of the earth. But the new phone can launch missiles and do heart surgery. And so I need a new phone, right? Because my phone is now a piece of junk and we're not happy because we don't have what's new. We're not content with what we have because we have the means to get whatever's next. That's how rich people think. In Matthew chapter 14, Jesus had these thousands of people to feed, but all he had was a basket lunch with a few fish and a couple of loaves of bread. And he did something very interesting. He prayed and gave thanks for it. He prayed and gave thanks for what he had. And then what happens next is a miracle. We tend to think of it the other way around. That, that, that he fed the 5,000 and then he gave thanks for what God did. No, he, he gave thanks and then a miracle happened after that. And not only do we tend to, to think of it the other way around, but we tend to do it the other way around as well. God, give me a miracle, and then I'll give thanks. We tend to say, God, make sure I have enough, and then I'll give thanks instead of giving thanks for what we have and then trusting God to make sure that it's enough. You are as rich as you think. And if you and I will cultivate a satisfied, content thankful heart, some awesome things will happen. One is that it will decrease entitlement. Thanksgiving decreases entitlement. The story goes about Abraham Lincoln that he was walking down a road uh, one day with his two boys behind him and they'd been fighting and now they were crying and someone said, well, what's wrong with your boys? And Abraham Lincoln said the same thing that's wrong with the whole world. I have three walnuts and they each want two. And far too often we're the same way. We're upset and discontent because instead of being glad for what we have, we're bitter that we don't have more, even if it's at the expense of someone else. So beware of the propaganda of a perpetually dissatisfied culture. And by the way, over these next several weeks, you and I are gonna be inundated with thousands and thousands of advertisements that have one goal in mind, to make you and I dissatisfied with what we have. And so beware of drinking the Kool-Aid of a culture that is constantly discontent because it lives by the motto, I am owed. I am owed, I'm owed this, I'm owed that, I deserve this. That's, that's the culture that we live in where everybody's entitled, everybody's been done wrong, everybody is owed something and if we think we deserve it, we're not grateful when we get it, and we're bitter when we don't. Listen to this verse from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Apostle Paul writes, Godliness with contentment is great gain. 
For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it as we've talked about. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Can I be honest with you? I've been content many times in my life. Never once was that for a lack of food or clothing. Now, especially when I was younger, it may not have exactly been the food and the clothing that I wanted, but I never once woke up in the morning wondering if I'm going to eat that day or if I'm going to have food or clothes to wear that day. Never once have I prayed the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread and prayed it literally because I'm rich. I am rich. And kingdom economics is teaching me to define contentment in a new way. The Apostle Paul was in prison in Rome and the church in Philippi sent him some money and and he was grateful and he wrote them. But he says, you just need to know that your gift did not change my attitude. That my level of joy is not dependent upon my level of abundance because I have learned to be content whether I have a little or whether I have a lot. And I've learned the, the secret of being content. And here it is. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. A lot of times we use that, that verse completely out of context, but it's a contentment verse. It's about resting in Christ to have the strength, to give us the strength to be content with what we have. But you know, that's learned. Like nobody starts out that way. That is a learned behavior and mindset. And we have, to, we have to learn to think that way. And we learn that by learning that we're not entitled, but that we are graced. James puts it this way in James chapter one, verses 16 and 17. He says, don't be deceived. Now, why would James say don't be deceived? Well, because we are easily deceived, right? It's possible for us to be deceived. And so he says, don't be deceived, brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is coming down from the Father above. Every good and perfect gift. That's why vaccine, Thanksgiving is a proactive, powerful proactive vaccine against deception, against entitlement, against dis, discontentment and the spirit of, of, of thinking that I'm always entitled to something. It changes, well, why don't I have this? Into, well, why do I have this much? And what will happen then is that uh, that will increase our enjoyment. Thanksgiving increases our enjoyment. That's the next point. You know, two guys were walking through a field one day when they suddenly realized that there was a large bull, a very large bull that was headed right for them and starting to chase them. And so they made a mad dash for the nearest fence, but it was pretty evident early on that they were not going to make it. And so one guy says to the other, he says, you better say a prayer and the other guy said, well, I've never said a, said a public prayer in my life. And the one guy says, well, you better pray now because that bull is charging right at us and he's gaining on us and he's about to get us. And the other guy says, okay, well, I, I don't know what else to pray. So I'll pray the only prayer I know, the one my mom taught me to pray for dinner when I was little. Lord, for what we are about to receive, make us truly thankful. So let me ask you, do you enjoy what you have? what you have been given. You know, it's interesting. The Bible actually talks a decent amount about us enjoying what God has given to us, not out of selfishness uh, and, and not for, for our, just purely for our own enjoyment and pleasure, but out of appreciation. 
and out of thanks and out of contentment for what we have. For example, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 19. When God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, <coughs> this is a gift of God. Why? Because God is a, a good father. And, and, and every good parent enjoys watching their kids enjoy what they have given to them. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 says, Teach those who are rich in this world. That's you and me. Hopefully we don't have to argue about that anymore. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Ain't that the truth? Their trust should be in God who not sparingly, not barely, but who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. God loves it when we enjoy and appreciate what he has given to us. Two chapters earlier in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says this in verse 4, since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it, but receive it with thanks. The more grateful we are, the more joyful we are with what we have. That's why we need to be careful of then and there, or there and then thinking, and allowing it to replace here and now thinking. Let me say that again. We need to be careful with there, <clears throat> there and then thinking and allowing it to replace here and now thinking. You know, some people can never enjoy here and now because it's always there and then and someday I'm gonna be happy if I just have this. No, here and now, enjoy what you have. Here and now, be thankful for what you have. We've all heard the line, you don't know what you have until it's gone. And that makes for a fine country song, but it makes for a terrible Christian hymn. Why can't you know what you have while you still have it? Why do you have to lose it in order to be grateful for it? Why can't you be thankful for it right now? Ecclesiastes chapter 6 verse 9 says, Enjoy what you have instead of desiring what you don't have. In other words, appreciate anything. Good stewards appreciate and enjoy what they have. And that's why they're able to employ what they have. Only joyful people are generous. There's a reason why the word miser and the word miserable both come from the same root word. Because when you cultivate a grateful and thankful heart, it will produce engagement. Thanksgiving produces engagement. Now, again, the reality is that we are rich, okay? So hopefully we don't have to argue about that anymore. You may be, uh, you know, different parts of the scale, but each and every one of us is rich. So let's not argue about that anymore. So if that's the case, let's be generous and rich. If we are rich, then, then let's be generous and rich. Let's decide that we're gonna be good at being rich. Remember that verse we just read a few moments ago in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, where it says, God gives us richly for our enjoyment? Well, here's the very next verse, verse 18. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. Now, nowhere in the Bible does it tell us to stop being rich. Now, there are examples of, of Jesus calling you know, a couple of guys like the rich young ruler to, to, to give up those things because those were getting in the way of him following Jesus. But the Bible doesn't tell us to not be rich because while money makes a terrible master, money makes a wonderful servant. 
when Jesus is your master. And most Christians are not going to take a vow of poverty. Some might, but most are not going to. And I'm not even saying again that scripture is calling us to do that. But all of us, all of us are called to take a vow of generosity. All of us are called to engage in God's mission by being a channel of his blessings and allowing his blessings to flow through us instead of being a dam for his blessings. So that what God has richly given us flows through us and into the world and the people around us. Because God created all of us, not just to be recipients of his grace, but to be participants in his gracious mission to the world. As the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11, you will be rich, enriched in every way. Why? So that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You see how it comes full circle? When you are thankful to God for his goodness to you, you then want to share that grace with those around you who then come to know God and begin to thank him too. You see, Thanksgiving is not just a day or even a weekend. Thanksgiving is a movement as God's people take God's kingdom throughout the world. It's the inevitable response to the generosity of God because basically and fundamentally to understand how to be a good steward, I've got to understand the gospel. Think about this. What did God need? What does God need? What does God want that he doesn't already have? Just one thing. You and me. And so he gave. As John 3.16 says, he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him should not perish, but would have the opportunity to spend eternity with God. You literally are the reason for the season. And so when we talk about the grace of giving, understand that it's rooted in the giving of grace. And that's why it's easy to recognize a kingdom economics student because they're always thinking about Jesus. You don't have to be around them very long before you'll see it and you'll hear it because they are always thinking about Jesus. You see, this series really hasn't been a series on money. Really, it's been a series on the gospel. Because the gospel teaches me to think and to thank differently. Perhaps the most powerful section of scripture in the entire Bible is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. And the very last verse is in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 15, about the last verse of that section and here's what it says. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. When you are overwhelmed with Jesus, when you just can't stop being grateful about Jesus, when Jesus is your treasure, you will manage all your other treasures differently. And so on this Thanksgiving weekend, in the midst of family and food and football, hopefully you've taken some time to give thanks for all the blessings that you have, all the blessings that we enjoy. 
But more than anything else, have you taken the time to be thankful for Jesus? He came like us and took our sins from us by dying for us. Because our God couldn't imagine eternity without us. And for that, above all else, we truly give thanks.